Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to see you all today. It is a just, oh man, I love fall. I don't like what's coming, knowing that winter's coming. Listen, I grew up loving winter, my favorite season. That was living in Canada. You know, I had my own ice hockey rink, season tickets to ski mountain, snowmobiles, all that good stuff. Then I moved to Connecticut going, oh, there's nothing to do here in wintertime. I don't like winter anymore. You know, I used to love fog, knowing that winter's coming. Now it's just like, oh, yay. But man, the seasons are beautiful. I love fall. So let's uh, open a word of prayer. Give thanks to the Lord for his beautiful sunshine, beautiful colored leaves, and a nice autumn weather. Lord of God, we thank you that you do an amazing, wonderful job creating this world. It is beautiful. Can we imagine how beautiful heaven's going to be? Man, I cannot wait to see it with my own eyes. And Lord, I just want to give you thanks right now, knowing that one day I will see it. And that those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will all see it together and be as one big family in your Son. Lord, we give you thanks for that. Now as we open your scripture, I pray that you would reveal to us uh, something more about your Son. May we grow deeper in love with Him and appreciate Him. And just really want to live for you because you have done so much for us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Joseph makes me think of Jesus again. Oh, man, I've been loving this series. How many of you have been loving this series? Mm. I, I love this series. Anytime we get to go look in the Old Testament and see pictures and types of Christ in the future, I think that's probably my favorite thing to study. And I was definitely, again, blessed when I saw my outline for today. Like, Oh, man. I got some good stuff to cover today. One of my favorites. So <clears throat> let's get into the word. Let's read a little bit and then let's go talk about it. So Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. We're going to pick up the very end of the chapter. So again, Joseph sold by his brothers into slavery. Went to Potiphar, worked at Potiphar's house, got thrown into prison. Right, you're all with me. Then he went before the Pharaoh and Pharaoh had a dream. Seven years of famine are going to come. Sorry, seven years of bountiful harvest will come, then seven years of famine will come. No one can interpret the dream, but Joseph could. Joseph goes forth and interprets the dream, and the Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of all the land. Second in command. That's where we pick up. Genesis 41, verse 55. When all of Egypt began to feel the famine, for the people cried to Pharaoh for food, Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you to do. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe in all the world. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued. I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us, so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others, because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine in the land of Canaan was there also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to the people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, 
They bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them and pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man, who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with her father, and the one is no more. Joseph said to them, It is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place until your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to go get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison, so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, leave one of your brothers, stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back to your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified, and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Then they said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. But we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an account for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. And next week we'll find out what happens. It's just like this suspense. It's great. Unfortunately, most of us know this story already. We know it's coming down the road. But in the section we read today, there's a few things we want to look at. Again, the whole purpose of this is not to break down Joseph's character and why he did what he did. The whole point of this series that we're in is looking at how do we see Jesus in it. All right. So we're not going to, again, look at every little detail of what went down, why Joseph said certain things and why he did things and didn't do other things. We're going to look at how we see Jesus. So the first one is an obvious one in verse 8. What do we see? Joseph's brothers don't what? They don't recognize him at all, do they? And people are like, it's your brother. How don't you recognize Like, It wouldn't be obvious it's your brother. Well, there's a few things that go along this way, right? One, it's probably been almost two decades. It's been a long time that Joseph has not been around. He was a boy when he was sold. In the sl- when he was sold. He's now a man. He has a family. He's grown up. His voice has changed. He's living in a different land. He's wearing different clothes, right? He's probably wearing Egyptian makeup. He's speaking Egyptian language. He's got Egyptian mannerisms. Everything about his lifestyle is different than what 
he had when he was living in the land with his father, Jacob. Everything is different about him. Plus, they're hundreds of miles away, right? I, maybe you've had this problem. Man, I, I have this all the time. I'm, I'm bad with people's names. I'm really bad with names. So I feel bad for my students. Like, I've had my students for like many years at school. They graduate. As soon as they graduate, I forget their names. And I'll see them around town. Yeah, uh, I, yeah I, I know you, but I don't know you. Mr. Mack, I had you last month in school. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I did. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you have your bank teller. And ours is our mailman. I know our mailman. He's Anthony. He's awesome. I speak to him like every time he comes by. But if I don't see him in his mail truck and I see him around town, I don't recognize him anymore, right? It's all about the context. You ever have that problem? where you, In a certain context, you know people well. But as soon as you take them out of that context, you forget about it. Like, it doesn't make sense anymore. You can't figure out who it is. Well, that could be a two, right? Joseph doesn't fit in this scene to them, so why would they even ever think that it was their brother Joseph? So I totally get why they're mistaken. That's fine. But other times, we're thinking about Jesus now, that Jesus was ever not recognized, that people didn't know who he was. I can think of just a few. Even his disciples at times didn't recognize him, right? There's this time where he was walking across the water to them. It's a ghost, right? That's what they were saying. That they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. And another time, Peter said, "If it's you, Lord, if it really is you, because I, I doesn't look like you, I can't make you out. You know, call me out into the water." How about when, after the resurrection, Mary's in the garden, or Mary's at the tomb, and Jesus approaches her and talks to her, and she calls him the gardener. Like you, you don't recognize who he is. You've been with him for how many years now? On the road to Emmaus, the two men who were talking, and Jesus comes along with them and shares with them about himself all through the scriptures. They had no clue it was Jesus till the end. How about when the disciples were fishing, and there's this man on shore cooking breakfast, and they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. Multiple times in scripture, we find that people don't recognize him for who he is. It's interesting. It's very interesting. Now, <clears throat> for us as believers, all right, when we look at these guys, these are the disciples, right? They were with Jesus day in, day out, day in and day out for three years. Everything they did with him, wherever Jesus went, they went. Yet, yet you think they would know what he looks like and what he sounds like. Even his closest friends and followers did not recognize him. And I think sometimes because it was out of context for them. You know, Jesus wasn't in his normal box of what he did, right? He was not operating within the parameters that they expected him to. I mean, he was kind of doing the extraordinary. Walking on water, it's kind of an extraordinary thing. They really hadn't seen Jesus do that yet, so why would they expect him to do that going, okay, this is weird. So, I, okay, I kind of get it. I wouldn't expect that to be John walking across the water either. So why would I recognize John doing it if it was him? Because that's just not normal, all right? Do we miss seeing Jesus sometimes in our own lives? Are are there times in our lives where we don't recognize what's going on is actually Jesus? Maybe it's sometimes because something so out of the box of what we expect God to be doing and expect what he can do, we put limitations on him, that no, we just miss it altogether. That's not Jesus. Or how about the times in our lives where it's the mundane things? 
or he's cooking breakfast for his disciples, that we also miss Jesus in our life. Just the everyday situations that go on in our life where Jesus is actively involved in your life and you're just missing it. Are there times you don't give credit to Jesus because you're missing it? He's doing something in your life, guiding you through your path that you're on, and even the littlest things, you just think, oh, that just, that just happened because I'm a good person, or that just happened because of luck, or that just happened because of whatever it may be. And you're not actually recognized that it's really Jesus with you. I, I, I really hope that's not me. I, I want to be a person because I know in my heart, and I know who I am a person, that I don't deserve anything good. And when good things come to me, I have to be very careful not to think that it's because of me. And I earned it, I deserved it, or I made this happen. I really got to stop and go, yeah, Lord, that's you. That, that's all you. And thank you. Thank you for blessing me that way. So we need to keep our eyes open and listen and recognize Jesus. Because we know very clearly, right, that we are his sheep. And our sheep, the sheep should what? Know his voice and recognize him. If you are walking closely with the Lord, then you should be able to see and hear and identify correctly, discern when the Lord is actively involved in your life. Now, obviously, to the world, we get it. They can't see. They're blind, right? They're walking in darkness. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds are made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains on the old covenant when it's read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now all sorry, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who unve- with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. To the cross, to the world, it is foolishness, right? The world is blind. The majority of the Jewish nation right now is blind to the truth. They cannot see it. They read the words on a page, and it doesn't make sense. They don't see Jesus when they read the Old Testament, do they? We see Jesus in the New Testament like crazy. You, I cannot go through and see Jesus. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit who lives in me illuminates Scripture. It makes it come to light. We can see it. To the world, the gospel message is foolishness. It doesn't make sense. How is it ever made real to them? When they believe in Christ, everything comes to light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In order to understand the truth, you have to let me light it up for you. You have to place faith in him. Only the Holy Spirit can open someone's eyes to the truth. You cannot force anybody's eyes to be open. You cannot perform a surgery on their eyes. You cannot debate someone's eyes to be open. 
You can't convince anybody of it. Only the Holy Spirit can open somebody's eyes to see the truth of Jesus Christ. That's why it's essential that we pray for people. You can't physically do it. Sure, you can share scripture with them. Sure, you can share the gospel with them. And we've got to do that, right? But only the Holy Spirit, through those words and through the scriptures, can actually do the work. We need to be praying for people that the Lord will open their eyes. We need to be doing that. We need to be praying for the lost. Genesis 42, verse 21. Let me get back there. The brothers, right? Joseph throws the brothers in prison. It says, They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded for his life, but we would not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give it an account for his blood. There's some, there's some guiltiness because of the blood that they put on their brother. They treated him as if he were dead. And now they feel a lot of remorse. A lot of guilt. Oops, we were caught. And now we're paying for what we did. They're owning up to the fact that they made a mistake. Oops. Looking at the Jewish nation, is there ever a point where they had blood on their hands? I mean, the brothers have blood on their hands. We, this is This is all our fault. And now we're paying for it. Is there any time where the Jewish nation had blood on their hands? Well, certainly, right? Turn with me to Matthew 22, uh, Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verse 22. Jesus Christ right now is before his jury, and they're trying to figure out whether or not to kill Jesus, trying to figure out whether or not to release him or crucify him, because the people outside are going crazy, yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And like, well, maybe I should give you Barabbas instead. You know, want me to give you Jesus or Barabbas? And of course, you're like, oh, he's going to give us Jesus. No, they choose Barabbas over Jesus, right? And that's kind of where we pick up the story. Matthew 27, 22. What shall I do with this Jesus whom you call the Christ, Pilate asked? They answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead of an up sorry, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am an innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And the people answered, Let his blood be on us 
and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed them over to be crucified. <laughs> the people are yelling, kill him, and the consequences will be on us. He needs to go, and whatever the repercussions are, we'll own up to it one day. His blood is on our hands and our children's hands. That's intense. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can ever say that about somebody. I mean, even the worst people in the world, I don't, yeah, kill that person. I'll take responsibility for it. That, that's, that's rough. That's, that's, that's real deep right there. Now, there are many people who say that the Jewish nation is currently under a curse by God. Because of what they said, because I said the blood of Jesus is on our hands, many people say that the Jewish nation is cursed. I, I don't find that anywhere in Scripture, so I, I have a hard time backing that up. I mean, I do know this. Whether or not the Jewish nation killed him, did Jesus Christ have to die? Yes, he did. He had to die. One way or another, he had to be crucified. So really, who is the blood of Jesus Christ on? It's really on the Father. He's the one who planned it and allowed it to happen and went through with it. And I'm grateful that he did. I hope we all are, because that's what sets us free, right? We are, our sins are washed clean. So I'm not really going to necessarily hold the Jewish nation accountable. Yes, that was God's plan. That's what happened. So I'm not saying that they're under a curse. However, are there consequences... For disobedience. Yeah, I mean, we, there are blessings and consequences to the Israel nation throughout Scripture, right? Clearly we know that. When the Israel nation, when we studied the kings, right, and we looked at them, clearly when they disobeyed God and they went after idolatrous foreign gods, God allowed them to be disciplined, right? The Babylonians came in, took them off to captivity for 70 years, and, you know, horrible plagues came upon them and things. Yeah, yeah, there were consequences for disobedience. I mean, right now, within one generation of killing Jesus, Jerusalem was destroyed. All the people were scattered, right? Within one generation. And it took 1,900 and something years for the Israel nation to come back. Yeah, there's something there, right? There are ramifications to your decisions here on earth. And there are spiritual ramifications to not only do they have Israel, Jerusalem destroyed, the gospel, where did it go? They rejected the Messiah. Where did the gospel go? To us, the Gentiles. I'm very grateful for that too. Zechariah 12, verse 10. It says, and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. See, Jesus Christ has not forgotten his people. He has not transferred all the blessings of Israel onto us. That's, that's not how this works, right? There is still a plan for Jerusalem, for Israel. And one day, when Jesus Christ comes back as a millennial reign, 
I believe that this might come true here. That the Jewish nation is going to go look at Jesus and go, uh-oh, we messed up. We made a mistake. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, God. And they are going to mourn. Because they will for once and finally recognize that they as a people crucified the Messiah. The one whom they waited for. We're promised. God promised them a deliverer, a Messiah, for them first. And they killed that person. Oops. That moment will come for the Jewish nation. And all the blessings that God has promised them, a great land, the promised land, they have not even fully, you know, obtained yet. That will come to pass. It all will come to pass for them one day. And they will look on whom they pierced, and they will mourn for him. Oh man, I gotta get to the best part. Going back, where do we start? Oh, I'm in Matthew, that's why it's not making sense. <laughs> I'm like, I can't find it, I can't find it. Back where we first started reading, right? Joseph interprets a dream for Pharaoh. What was Pharaoh's response after Joseph interpreted the dream? You're now in charge. See, without Joseph, the entire nation, the entire region would be lost. See, Pharaoh acted very wisely. He identified that Joseph was here, in this place, in this moment, from God, for a particular reason. And that he had been sent here for a purpose. And that purpose was to save the nation. Pharaoh acted very wisely in identifying the one whom God chose to save everybody and allowed him to take the lead. Joseph was the only one able to interpret the dream. He was the only one to see God's plan. He was the only one to make it come to pass. And without him, everybody would have died. Man, that sounds kind of familiar. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus is the only one who was sent from God to save the world. From their sins. And I, want, I, want, I want to make this very clear today. This is the point I want to spend the rest of our time on. Jesus Christ said this very clearly. I am the way. I am the life. I am the truth. No man comes to the Father except through me. There is one door and only one. And we're going to talk about that, okay? This is a universal negative, guys. There's no other options to get to heaven. You want to see God the Father, you got to go through Jesus Christ. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Everything else is a lie. Jesus Christ is absolute truth. Salvation is found and no other man. Sorry, salvation. Yeah, salvation is found in no one else. I better just read the verse before I quote it wrong. Acts four twelve. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. How many names? <laughs> one name. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I am the good shepherd. 
The others are thieves and robbers who are violently trying to break in and enter my father's kingdom. They have no right to be there. This is Brian paraphrasing. Okay, I'm not quoting scripture. Just make sure. All right? There is no one else that we can go to the Father with. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Scripture makes that very clear. I am the door by which you must be entered. If you read John chapter 10. We don't have time to read it all, all right? Jesus also says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and only few will find it. We as Christians, I I heard this and I I can't stop thinking about it. We as Christians like to not hold to the Ten Commandments. We like to hold to the Eleventh Commandment. Thou must be nice. Thou must be nice. And if you offend anybody with the previous Ten Commandments, the Eleventh One trumps all of them. Okay? That we should not offend people. We should be tolerant of their ways. That we should, you know, be understanding and be kind to them. That sometimes you just can't say the truth because the truth hurts. We got to be very careful of that. that that's wrong. Okay. I, I heard, I, was, I, I saw this on YouTube, a very famous, well, probably the most famous right now, Christian preacher, runs a Christian church, the biggest mega church in America right now, Joel Olstein. Okay. I got, I'm going to heckling right now, right? That's why I went like this, okay? You get it, right? He is the number one Christian preacher in the world right now. He was on Larry King Live. Great place for Christian people to be. Larry King Live. And he was being interviewed, and the question goes out, well, what about other religions? What about other religions? Are they going to hell and only Christians are going to heaven? And Joel Osteen goes... Well, I've been to India. I've been to a lot of places. And my time that I spent in India for the years that I was there, I studied and I watched them. And you know what? They are very devoted. And they love their God. And there is only one true God. And if they really love God, and it must be the same God, and God will judge them based on their devotion to Him. Whoa! That's heresy, guys. That is wrong. That is a lie. We cannot be nice like that because you just lied to them about the truth. And in doing so, you're telling them that You're not going to hell. You're going to heaven because of your devotion. Your niceness, your dedication will get you there. It's not going to cut it. That's not how this works. Very clearly, there's one door and only one. Anybody else who tries to get into the sheep pen doesn't go through the gate. They jump over. They're trying to break into heaven through some other means. And it's not going to work. You have to go through Jesus Christ alone. 
But then, but, but, but then, Brian, bro, what about, what about, what about the innocent men and women and children who live in the bushes of Africa who have never heard the gospel? What about those innocent people over there? They don't know Jesus. Are they going to hell too? Well, I would disagree with you right now. Just bear with me for a second. I know some of you are going, what? Here's what I'm saying. According to the scripture, an innocent man or woman has no need of a savior. They're already going to heaven because they've lived a perfect life. The problem is, there is no innocent man or woman, right? We know that very clearly, for all have sinned. There's not a single human being who has not trespassed against God. That makes it all the more reason why we need to send missionaries to those who have not heard. We need to support missionaries who reach unreached peoples. Because they need to hear. Why? Because they are going to hell. They need to hear the truth. We need to be actively supporting that. That is the Great Commission. Go out into all the lands. Now some of us are not called to go to all the lands. That does not mean that we are not to support the missions to all the lands. Okay? Some of us actually have to stay back and, and, and support the local assemblies here and the local work that's going on and provide the finances to send them out. That is part of the calling too, to support the work. There are no innocent men and women. No innocent children. We're all sinners before God. Those people do not exist, and it's very unfortunate. God is not being unjust, sending them to hell. Just like sending any other person to hell. He's not being unjust. We need to be actively sharing the gospel. There is only one way to be saved. And that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But Brian, what about the Old Testament? What about the Old Testament saints? And now the New Testament. It's a completely different way of getting saved. You know, is there a different gospel for the Old Testament saints and a new gospel now for the New Testament saints? Well, of course not. That would be two different gospels then, right? That doesn't exist. There is only one way for the Jews to go to heaven and only one way for the Gentiles now to go to heaven. There's not two different ways for Jews and Gentiles to go to heaven. There's only one way. And you know what? The people in the Old Testament look forward to something. We look back at something and where do we meet? At the foot of the cross. All peoples of all times, the only way to get to heaven is to meet at the foot of the cross. That's the only way to heaven. It's through Jesus. I mean, Abraham believed God and it was accredited him. I mean, Abraham saw my day and he was glad, Jesus said. He was looking ahead and we were looking back. When it comes to this Jesus person, people today don't, okay, most people today 
will not argue with you that Jesus existed. There's plenty of historical fact that he was a real person who walked this earth. Right? I, yes, I have met people, I've heard people on TV say that Jesus wasn't real. It was all a story. That's like one in zillions, right? But most people would acknowledge that he was real. That he did walk this earth. But when you ask them, and I had this conversation with the co-worker the other day. Well, who is Jesus to you then? Like, what was he like? Like, oh, he's a, he's a good person. He's a good moral leader. He's a good religious teacher. Okay, is that it? Yeah, that, that's all he is. He's a good person. He's a good moral leader. And we should learn from his example of how to treat humanity. I, I got a problem with that. Because there's only three ways you can look at Jesus. And I'm sure you've heard this before. He's either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he's the Lord. And I shared his co-worker, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And my first time I ever get to really use it, I was, I was kind of excited. I'm like, oh man, yes, I finally, all my life, I've been hearing this at church, hearing it on the preachers I listen to, I'm like, I've heard this a thousand times, I finally get to use it, you know? Here we go. So Jesus, if you haven't heard, I'm going to share with you, right? Jesus Christ said a lot of crazy things, Right? He said, I am sent here by the Father. I and the Father are one. What did he basically say? I am God. Before Abraham was, I am. I've been around forever. Actually, in fact, I made the universe. I spoke it into creation. Kill, destroy this temple, and I will rebuild it in three days. Kill me, and I'll come back to life in three days. All right. He made some crazy, outrageous sayings. So you can either look at him, he's a complete liar. He's just flat out wrong. Lying about everything he said. In which case, liars, last time I checked, are not good moral people. Liars are not good religious teachers. They're not a good example of what humanity's best is. Therefore, I wouldn't trust him. I wouldn't trust a single thing he says. If he's a liar, throw the whole Bible in the garbage because it's, it's a lie. You got one line, it's all bad. And the main character, if he's a liar, the whole thing's really bad then, so it's got to go. Two, he's either a nutcase. He's a lunatic who's off his rocker, like his family said, he's lost his mind. In which case, again, not a good person probably, not a good moral person to follow, not an example of who I want to worship and follow. So if Jesus Christ said these things, you don't really have two choices. Either he's complete garbage, or his last choice is he's right in what he said. And if he is correct in what he said about himself and what he claimed to be, you got a problem. Because he is Lord then. He is one of the two things. He's either a complete garbage liar lunatic, or he is really Lord of the universe. And you need to reconcile that. Every human being needs to reconcile that. One way or shape or form. He cannot be the in-between, okay, dokie, good person that I want to model my life after. That is completely unacceptable. And you're going to hell for that thought. He is the one and only Savior sent to heaven. He is the Son of God. The creator and sustainer of the universe. People need to know that. 
People need to know that. Let's close with that. Lord God, we give you thanks for your son. That he is not a liar. That he is not a lunatic. But that he is Lord over all creation. And Lord, yeah, he said some outrageous things. But he backed every one of them up with action. He did not have to. He could have simply come down to earth and claim to be God and be telling the truth and never once support it with action. And he would have been perfectly justified in doing that because he is God. But Lord, for our sake, you healed the sick. You caused the blind to see. You made the lame walk. You rose people from the dead. You healed people from great distances. Lord, you even rose yourself from the dead. You made it plain and evident to all peoples that you are who you claim to be. The one and only Savior. The door to the Father. Lord, I pray that the world would see that you are what you claim to be. The way, the truth, and the life. And that we here in North Brantford would not be ashamed of that truth but that we will boldly proclaim it and support missionaries wherever they may be and their work at furthering the gospel. For, Lord, there are lost people all around the world, even in our local neighborhoods, and they need to know. May we be active in sharing and supporting that work because there are no innocent people. Lord, we thank you for saving us, for calling us, because in ourselves there is nothing special. We give you thanks this morning for your great love towards us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.